0: I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being's Unheard Cut. You're listening to my unedited conversation with Alice Parker. Download the mp3 of our produced show with her at onbeing.org. Do you need us, do you need us to um, make some more? Okay. So, Alice, tell me something like um, what, what you had for lunch.
1: I had for lunch. I'm trying to remember. Oh, it was a wonderful bowl of um, tomato soup at the bistro on the university campus, which was very simple and very noisy and and busy, but all I needed was a large bowl of soup after talking for two hours. Straight. Yeah. yeah. Who, who were you talking with this morning? This was with uh, Kathy Romy's um, uh, graduate students in uh, choral conducting at the university.
0: Okay.
1: And a few undergraduates. And then after lunch... Uh, I had half an hour 's uh, improvisation play with the choruses no oh, so okay was fun. yeah
0: all right, Chris says we can go um, you know, I just want to say before we start that um, um, th- I, although you are you are all about music and composing and singing and conducting. Um, You're also in a beautiful, you write beautifully about it, about it. I
1: love, I love words.
0: Right? And so I have made so many notes Mm. and I have so many quotations Mm -hmm. from you that I, um... That I, you know, I, I, I feel, I mean, maybe this, I feel like I'm maybe looking down more than I often do because your, your words are so beautiful and there's kind of, we'll do kind of a call and response saying, well, I'll read your words and then you talk about uh, them. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, so I do, I have all these notes, but I want to start um, where I always start my conversations by, um, uh, I, I wonder how you would describe the religious or spiritual background of your childhood.
1: Uh, it was it was wonderfully stable. My mother was Southern Presbyterian, and my father was New England Congregational. I had two Congregational minister uncles.
0: <laughs> okay. And um, yeah.
1: so ministers were, for me, fat, jolly people that came to your house and drew locomotives on the blackboard and, and uh, told <laughs> stories and were always, you know, just... So I never had any fear of ministers, which was a great help in my growing up. Mm. And then... Um, Church mother had gone to Union Seminary for a while before she was oh, really? married. But that was in the early 20s, and all that women did was to go in as Sunday school teachers. You know, they were training for that. But she was used to talking um, fairly high level. Uh, theology and things with people, felt very strongly about it. And both of them had sung in church choirs and stuff when they were little, but neither one of them ever had any formal musical training. Mm-hmm. But she was determined she was going to give it to her children. And, of course, Sunday school is the place where it's all the time. You're either singing or... or then I started accompanying the junior choir and then leading choirs and things like that. So.
0: You, um, you've written... Um Song is a right and a need, and I just wondered, um, you know, if there were roots of that. I would say pr- it probably started as an intuition. I
1: think now it's a conviction. I think. But are there?
0: What, what? How do you trace the roots of that
1: in you? I think it's mostly from being a mother, mm. and uh, uh, I was thirty when I got married and, and had had children, and uh, so I'd been teaching for for almost ten years then, and. You'd been with the
0: Robert Shaw Curl. Yes, yes. Already. Yes, right.
1: And and watching those tiny babies develop, it just gave me this absolute conviction that babies, that's the language of babies. That's what they're born knowing. Nobody teaches a baby how to sing. They first, from their first utterance, it's all singing. It takes a long time to learn the language, learn the words, and how to communicate from their brain, but from their heart. The knowledge is there at the beginning, so we don't have to teach them mm. anything. They kept confounding me. They knew it all already. And there was nothing that I loved that I could sing to them that they didn't love and sing back because the, the trade that's going on is not learning a song. It is human communication at its most elemental level, the, mm. the mother-to-baby wordless hum or something like that, which also leads me to conclude that, that song – Predates language, and that the first way that humans communicate is with vocal sound, which is much closer to song than it is to, to thought out, measured, rational language. Sentences. You know, Bobby McFerrin once
0: said to me that he said he, he suspected that we sang before we spoke. <laughs>
1: I'm I'm certain that that's true. I mean,
0: okay, and let's be clear. You had five children in seven and a half years. I did. I did.
1: So (laughs) (laughs) it was like running a nursery school. It actually was like, I remember reading a book. um, It must have come out in the 60s or something, The Nun's Story or something like that, of a a French woman who had gone into a a nunnery when she was in her mid-teens, you know, very young, and totally committed to it until uh, many years later when she wanted to go to Africa as a medical missionary and the head of her order told her, no, she couldn't. And she really began to question everything about it then, uh, and eventually did leave the order. And it's it's a wonderful, uh, kind of frightening thing about what the world means to somebody who's been in that protected environment for years and then ventures out. But she said that the disciplining of the nunnery in those days was so complete, you just gave up every vestige of your individuality. You responded to the bells to wake up, you know, and those things and you always had to stop whatever you were doing and you were really frowned on thinking any in individual thoughts. We were talking. I had just that feeling about all these kids around me all the time. If I <laughs> ever get in a position where I can sit down for 15 minutes and just be by myself, or you know, and it, it wasn't that bad. And my husband was absolutely darling, but he was off on tour a lot of the time, so I was a single mother at home with all these all right. kids.
0: Functionally a single mother. Yes,
1: and... Um, But what it did was give me the discipline when I wanted to work on on materials for, for Shaw... Um, I had to do it in my head. There was no way I could sit down at a desk and just think. I never had to sit down with a pencil and and paper and just think about what the next thing I was going to write. I'd have it all in my head. And when Tom came home from tour, he would make sure that I got locked into the studio by myself. He always said the house could burn down around me and I wouldn't (laughs) get my head up. Then just all these notes flowing out on the paper. And it's still the way I work. I, I get it all in my head first. Not all. But so the, you the were still forms.
0: composing, arranging. You were still doing. I those. was
1: learning mm-hmm. all the time that I was working with Shaw. Mm-hmm. He taught me. And how to And even then, when
0: your children were little, in that. In oh those-
1: yes, because I, I I was so glad I wasn't a singer or a pianist or something that had to spend a certain number of hours every day keeping my craft. I wasn't. You had this creative that
0: process up. that could this, flow that
1: I was I was learning how to to tap into it mm-hmm. and manage it, discipline it. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't have the time to write and because I didn't have a steady job, if I'd gone right into composition out of school, I'd be composing like everyone else. And if I'd gone right into conducting, but I couldn't because I had these kids. So I kept feeling this damned up kind of feeling. And the same with teaching. I learned to be a very good teacher while, you know, Sunday school with nursery school children, ages one through five was what I worked with for 10 years, um, and then uh, Cub Scout Ten Mother and, <laughs> right. the, the, the right. and the picnics and everything else that goes with it. And all the time pondering the relationship of the kids' exposure to what I loved and mine. And I was so much mat- more mature about my whole relationship to all the elements of music hmm. than I was when I just got out of school. Be- uh, through parenting. Mm. and Through par-
0: through, mm. through life and, experiences, And the work yeah. together. Yeah. I, I think that's so interesting. It's so interesting, you know, because we do, we talk a lot, and there's a lot of study of how we learn language and the kind of elemental template in us, what, however that functions. And for you to point out, which, uh, I mean, we don't need any scientists to prove this to us, right? That, that oh, singing also emerges, that sound emerges uh, just as naturally.
1: It's a possession. almost. It is. It's one of the things that we're born with, mm-hmm. and it's the great um, international, you know, enter everything mm-hmm. language, because it's dealing with um, with our inner emotional life. It's as if singing is the language of the emotions, and it's our intuitive life as opposed to our rational life. Mm-hmm. And we live in a society that's glorified rationality. Mm-hmm. I like to say that I'm an irrational person, <laughs> <laughs> not just non-rational.
0: I am. Um, I I I sense that you perceive that 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 move to. I mean, I I kind of think in the 21st century, the place we've come is that that we're understanding that even things we've pretended we're rational aren't mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> right? Like yeah. economic behavior, political oh, behavior, these things we've called sciences. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of I sense that you that you see that that moved kind of idolizing, preferencing what can be rational mm-hmm. um, has also taken
1: us away from singing. It's it's uh, partial. It's a partial view of reality. Uh-huh. I have a basic division kind of thing that I make between what I call God made and what is man made and if God made it which is the whole created universe, sound and all the things that are in Mm. it uh, or man made and because man is perfect man is imperfect everything that we do is not whole I think different people's ideas of, of Defining God, of course, are very different, but it's the creative force for me. It's it's what began things, if things began, mm. and um, it's the all encompassing view. Wendell Berry has a wonderful poem about uh, economics or about uh, the, the natural world, where he talks of a, of a complete economy where every bit is accounted for. What we don't account for in our economy at all is waste. And there's so much of it. Mm-hmm. It's before we buy anything, we should have money allocated for taking care of that product when it is past its useful time, like our buildings and our cars and mm-hmm. everything, so that we, we don't think in holes. And for me, the intuitive mind comes much closer to thinking in holes than the rational mind. Because the rational mind erects walls, it defines the minute you define you exclude something as mm-hmm. well as include it if we're intuitively in music the kind of thing that can happen at a concert where there's a there's a person singing a spiritual from their soul and they may have just been doing gorgeous art song and symphonic uh, arias of operatic arias and things like that but nothing goes straight to the heart of the audience like that one voice with that one song so my question then is what's going on mm-hmm. and I try to define it in my book about melody and I always when I go into a class as I did this morning I said how many people here have had a course in melody not one hand ever goes up and that's the thing that we begin with as as babies, as children
0: okay well let's talk about that because that All is right? one of your themes yes yeah. um, melody and how do you say it that um that at some point we started to preference harmony over melody but i think you know you just you say again and again that that melody is is, is harmony is elemental. harmony is a subset of melody right and i mean i don't even think most of us uh, have ever thought any of this through? Right, More, or have any most, sense of
1: this? Most, um, most people are just astonished when I say that because it's melody and harmony and rhythm, right? That's what music is. But harmony doesn't develop until, um, you know, four centuries ago, five centuries ago, harmony as we define it uh, in our traditional practice. And it doesn't develop until there's notation. And notation, our notation, doesn't develop until... Maybe I can say 1200 or during the Dark Ages, that people begin to write down chant and stuff like that. But it, as it begins to be more and more precise, we write down what we hear, and that limits it. Any notated piece of music is so severely limited by the fact of putting it down in those dumb black <laughs> blobs on the paper.
0: But I think you've said that, uh, what did you say, like 5% of yes. what you hear. And what you're composing is what gets put down on paper.
1: That's all. You're just you're just condensing, just leaving off all of this other stuff. You can't notate the emotion. You can't. You can notate the words. This is also true of language, and I'm sure mm-hmm. that the first people that notated language were just as horrified at what gets left out, because the tone of voice. Mm-hmm. It's what we find with the with the tweets now and stuff like that. It's so easy to totally misread them, because it doesn't have the, the face of the speaker or the emotional. Contact with the speaker, or the chance to say no—that's not what I meant. Right, right, right. Yeah. So what we lose when we're not face to face Mm -hmm. is incredible, and that's what I see is so tragically happening with the electronics Mm -hmm. being a barrier between human beings. And well, it's it's a wonderful way of communicating. Mm -hmm. Of course, I know all of that, but our kids are not learning how to behave face to face with other people mm-hmm. they always have this this fence
0: I want I want to hear it. so I want I, so I want to stick with melody a little bit mm-hmm. and just I want to make sure that you I want to understand why it matters that we take this in right like what what difference it makes also just in terms of how any of us move through the world whether we have perfect pitch or tone deaf mm-hmm. or had never read a note mm-hmm. why does that matter Uh, understanding the primacy of melody?
1: It's the language, as I said before, it's the language of emotions. It's the way, if you think of a tiny baby, what what does it have the possibility of doing? It has the possibility of a cry, which is the first one, which is for attention, for what it needs. And then very quickly, it has the ability to... To please, to to register uh, not only pleasure but delight, and that watching a tiny baby laugh is just one of life's great moments. Um, So that we communicating not what the words mean, because you can't read Shakespeare to a tiny baby, but you can certainly read Shakespeare to a two year old, and what they get is the flavor of the voice. The voice is a part of us. Much as our, our physical appearance is and, and the customs that we have, the way we use our bodies. So I don't wish my grandfather had any other voice. I remember him singing to me in a very kind of scratchy voice. But that means grandpa and I, the, the way he sounded. Mm-hmm. So we each have a sound and we communicate emotional states through that sound that are impossible to get at any other, any other medium. So it's important because, as I get to in the last chapter of the little book, it's it's deep. Sound gives us what is behind the surface. Sight gives us the surface. Hmm. And I remember reading in Annie Dillard, of all places, that our eyes, when we're first born, see things upside down, and we have to learn to see them right side up, to learn to recognize that correction. Ears don't go through the rational brain. I'm probably, the, any scientist is probably, oh, at this point. Uh, but, but what my understanding is that they don't go first to the rational brain. They go first to the nervous system. Mm. So that's the direct, direct contact. What we mm. miss when we don't have song is the means of, of creating a community, of creating a whole out of a group of, of uh, people and it doesn't matter if it's a group of people in an old folks' home that can't really sing anymore, or if it's a kindergarten classroom or a nursery school classroom, or a bunch of seventh-grade boys who can be fairly hard to, to get to function as, yeah. as a unit. Uh, wh- wherever they are, if you get them on a song, you can establish a kind of group feeling that is really what's well, exemplified at its most uh, most marvelous After a perfectly wonderful concert, when the last note is sound and you get that silence in the room, which is a silence of completion, Hmm. which is opposite from an anticipatory silence. But it just means that everyone, it's as if all of our inner ions have been... Scheduled to be moving in the same direction so at the same time. Right, right. Yeah.
0: You say somewhere that I think singing is the most companionable of arts. Yeah. That's also just a wonderful way to think yeah. of it. And it's it's an art that's there for all of us. For to everyone. And, and we've well I hope I hope most of us have had that experience you just described, if even briefly. Right.
1: Well, and it can be from other things too. It mm-hmm. can be from hearing uh, hearing of the memory of a song that that your grandmother loved or something like that. I mean, memory works in such amazing ways. Mm-hmm. The depth of our sound melody. Mm-hmm. I think each one of us is a walking encyclopedia of all the sounds we've ever heard in our lives. And it takes a sympathetic vibration, kind of light glinting off something or a color or a representational object or an occurrence or remembering the first love or, you know, all those things. What they call for, the kind of communication they call forth, is is music. Trying to get them in words is loads of fun. It's a marvelous game trying to pin these things down. But the really important things that you're always talking about just defy definition. mm mm-hmm. And the lovely thing with the music is that we don't have to be limited by the way that words are limited by our rational minds.
0: I love that. Um, (laughs) You know, we were... um, There's this beautiful thing you say. You know, you talk about the human qualities of song. That it does not exist until it is incarnate in the human throat. Now, I grew up in... um, I grew up Southern Baptist in Oklahoma and it was a culture where uh you know, there was a lot of singing in church. Of church was at the center of, of culture course. and 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 there were choirs and this was a craft that was really valued and cultivated and there was a Baptist university where I grew up, Oklahoma Baptist University had an outstanding music department. Right. Um and maybe we'll talk about this a little later. I mean, I think, I think one of my uh, regrets, and I don't, I don't have a lot of big regrets mm-hmm. um, as a parent. Um, of course, as a parent, you're always second-guessing yourself. But I think one real regret that I can put on the table is that I did not, you know, it was a certain kind of singing and certain kinds of churches— and it, I did not pass that on to my children. Mm-hmm. They got they got glimpses of it every, every once it's, in a
1: while. Oh, it's so hard now because there's <sighs> there's sound all around us. There's hardly any silence. Silence is, means that something doesn't work. Yeah. And instead of of the 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 end of the ladder, I have a ladder of, of uh, speech. And first is inchoate silence before anything has existed, and then the first. Sound comes, and this first sound is like a baby's cry, or animal sounds, or nature sounds like mm-hmm. water, wind um, and then then you get begin to get into these emotional responses to sound which lead to um, which lead to melody, but they're founded in the world that we're brought into bird call would be. Fantastically important, hmm. and the ability to to differentiate. We don't almost don't hear them anymore. No, but no. In a world where there's nothing else, you yeah. know, except the natural sounds, and you imitate and bring them out, uh, and then your different occupations call for different things that <clears throat> of a work song, and the. Uh, the lyricism of a, of a young love, or the the wonderful teasing way that children play together, and all of them change the songs. They just delight in the repetition of the of the children folk songs, um, and the way that they can change them. I remember my children changing words of of songs when they were about two or two and a half. Mm-hmm. So it comes very early. It's a material to play with, just like clay or paint. The, the ability to do sound and i think in order to, for that to be be there for the children they need to be around adults for whom song, song is a natural language mm-hmm. right
0: i mean in order to innovate or to play
1: with it they, yes, need, to, can, they need to they need to have the raw materials to work right. with right and i i think that it can come from anywhere it can come from the singing in the in the totally mountain churches that uh, where it can be raw but it it can get to that same Feeling. The emotional range tends to be limited by the kind of singing that you're doing, and if it's all shouting and and stuff, or if you're only singing uh, sad songs, or if yeah. you're only singing happy <laughs> songs, you know, then right. people put, keep putting these things on because they misunderstand the nature of the of what music communicates. Mm-hmm. But the wider range that you sing and now, with our one world contracting the way it is, and we can hear music from different traditions. Within seconds of each other, right? We're just, right.
0: So, so you. I think you point out somewhere that um, in oral cultures, and in in fact, in most cultures of every kind, mm. until very recently, people possessed the music, the style, the music that had been handed down to That's them. That's right. And it was of a piece; right. it was recognizable. Right. And we have this great bounty. You know on the one hand, of um, exposure and access mm-hmm. i mean we have we have all the world 's music at the tip of our fingers, um, but I, it also makes me understand what what we we well, 're reading you makes me understand what mm-hmm. we lose mm-hmm. is in fact that stuff that we can play with and yeah, make
1: that 's one side of it is the is the bounty of all of that, but I think the big the big problem for the whole world right now is learning to affirm and value your own tradition so that you can affirm and value someone else's mm-hmm. tradition. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have a vital tradition of our own, then you don't understand the vitality of the other tradition and you try to subsume it into yours. And this is what happens with, with say, the pop song industry where so much of it is monetized and it turned into a, a business so that you you carefully groom a young rock band into what is going to make the most money right. instead of song arising from from communities that make their own songs and quickly adapt songs that come from outside into theirs. Mm-hmm. And we lose the sense of just making music with whoever whoever's there. We don't have to have... A soprano and alto and tenor and a bass to sing a hymn. It says you didn't come down (laughs) with the Ten Commandments, and you don't have to have uh, instruments. You don't have to have a piano. Much of the teaching when I was growing up said you should. Everybody has to know how to play the piano in order to teach. And that's a terrible thing to do to a kindergarten classroom. Have somebody that doesn't play very well with their back to the class. Yeah, right. Accompanying a song, you don't need the I think accompaniment. Piano, piano
0: lessons <coughs> have also ruined um, plenty of well, budding musical, yeah, yeah. Inter- musical interest.
1: That's another thing that I trace back to the to the page. That mm-hmm. It's possible to play music exactly the way it is on the page and mm-hmm. make it sound god awful. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um You know, in in that in that in that experience I had growing up, I I did I did know have the experience of the kind of magic and mystery of people singing together. Um uh and also the, the the very mysterious thing about and wait, I mean you are a, a you a choral conductor and there are choirs all over the world. Now are you are you 91 now?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, right, but I'll be in, 91 in 2 months.
0: Okay. So in your 90th year so it's yes. still going on. There are all these choirs all over yes. the country, <laughs> possibly all over the world, yeah. uh singing music that you've arranged mm-hmm. and composed and putting mm-hmm. them up on YouTube. Um, it's so joyful to listen to that. It, it made me so happy. To, mm-hmm. It was such a happy thing to prepare for this conversation. Um, I also think, you know, unlike, uh, let's say, conducting an orchestra, um, there's something quite mysterious about how a good choir conductor or leader uh well, let's say it this way. Somebody who's not great at what they do can be working with absol- a, a wonderful collection of human voices, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. the sound is not, right. Is right. not pleasing. Right. But I've also seen this. I, I, my son was in a great choir program at his high school. Mm-hmm. Um, how uh, somebody who has that craft can take a collection of very ordinary people— mm-hmm. Some many of whom have no training. Maybe right. all of them have right. no training. Right. Not uh, probably a fair number of any group like that is tone deaf, mm-hmm. and yet make a gorgeous noise. There's something very mysterious about that. It but is. I mean, that's a lot of where you've spent that's, your energy and your
1: creativity. I do because
0: I. So what is that? <laughs> Right, I because just, you couldn't do that with people playing instruments, right? You'd need everybody to right. have Every, a modicum of yes, expertise. that's
1: right. And it also, um, you have to, have to have to overcome technical difficulties at yes. the beginning. And if you're going to have wonderful choral singing, you really, it's one, I have a professional choir of 16 that I work with. It's just such a pleasure because it's making music with colleagues instead of teaching. Mm-hmm. But I've always said, I, I can, I've never found a group that couldn't sing. In a in a very um, conservative church down south, or or wherever they are, a classroom, in any place that's a group of singing, we, where two or three are gathered together, we can sing, and it doesn't even take that. I sing by myself all the time, mm-hmm. as if I am both both uh, producer of sound and listener to the sound, so the circle is mm-hmm. is complete. But what's happening is that if I just make it personal again, I have a conception of the sound of this song, what the life of this song is. And I've talked about, I've tried to teach what I'm learning all the way along. So as I was always teaching piano to kids in the old days and stuff like that. And then some work with grownups and then more and more with other groups. But I've always tried to be very vocal about it so um, so that the words have kind of kept pace with my understanding. And my understanding is that if we have ears, the realm of music is open to us. And if we don't have ears, it's closed in a certain way except deaf people say they feel vibrations mm-hmm. and they're getting some mm-hmm. of it anyway. Um, so that the it, the possibility is there. If I, in my own training, start out singing in church and was a child and, and loving the music and having piano lessons and gradually learning more about it, um, I'm I'm enlarging the capability of imagining sound that is suggested by a page. So that the more different kind of sounds that I have experienced, uh, the more different sounds I have at my fingertips to use in my own craft. I don't think we make up Anything, I think it's all there, and we discover it in the world. Exactly as a painter,
0: we discover the music. Yeah,
1: we, mm-hmm. it, we'll discover as a painter discovers color. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I know red, green, all those those things, but I can't remember a color and reproduce it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I can with music. And if I am absolutely convinced that the possibility of song is always there. No matter where I am, and my job is to birth it. It's as if it's floating around right here, and if I start to sing with my very failing voice um i can I can evoke that spirit, and if I do it gently enough, I can get anybody that's around me into joining me just by going like this. help me help i'm I'm on my own, and the more that we listen to each other. The more wonderful the sound is, and for instance, my little church congregation at home, we have to have forty or fifty people in the room for the congregation. The choir is about twelve, um, but they they have have learned over the years. Um, to let me line out a song, to, a brand new song to them, and sing it back, uh, hear, hear what I'm doing. And I hardly ever repeat or go back unless there's a real difficulty, but I want to solve that right then. So I and repeat. You, so this
0: lining is this tech You call this Lining this out, here. yes. And yeah. so to, to explain that or demonstrate it. Yes. Well, it's just that <laughs> yeah. if
1: I'm going to teach a song as I was just doing with the university choirs, um, if I take... Let your little light shine, shine, shine. And you can't... If when it's written down, it looks like... Let your little light shine, shine, <laughs> shine. Right. And that's the way somebody who's reading music sounds. You know? yeah. But if you have this other one, you're trying to get over an idea, and it's always... it's a It's a dramatic idea. It's an opera scene. It's a video. It's something... Let your little light shine, shine, shine. Let your little light shine, oh my Lord. There might be someone down in the valley trying to get home, so let your little light. And I get this picture in my mind of the only way that that person is going to get out of that Valley of whatever it is mm-hmm. that they're going through, is because my light is shining because nobody else is around here at the moment that can do it. So you start thinking that way. You see where we are. It's almost in tears. Yeah, there's,
0: yeah. <laughs> there's something you wrote. Yeah, um, somehow in music, you get exactly what you ask for and no more. Yeah. And that's what. But you, you, you are calling forth. Um, really, what you're calling forth is that that natural gift. And the fullness of the humanity exactly. that has been accumulated.
1: Yeah, it, it <laughs> alongside has, that, it has nothing to do with music from Mars or any anything like that. It has, to, or or with music divorced from emotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has to do with the fact that the walls that we put up around ourselves in order to get through growing up and polite society and stuff simply dissolve when we are all listening together to a song and when we've called forth the emotional underpinning of that song, the context out of which Mm. the song arises. Mm. And the sound can be vastly different as it comes from different groups and develop in in vastly different ways. But I am not happy unless the group I am singing with is always in that emotional connection. I have no patience with, with learning the notes. Okay. You, you learn them yeah. by hearing them and always keeping the emotional quality there
0: mm-hmm. yeah. I, I want to talk a little bit about um, how your imagination about the physical properties of sound, because this is also something you 've thought a lot about, worked with um, how tones are produced, how tones strike the ear you know, time, vibration, energy, the physics of motion. Just talk to me about, you know, what goes through Alice Parker's mind when she
1: hears the word sound, (laughs) define. Yeah, well, it's vibration. And if you think, think back to, I'd have to try to go back to beginnings, the Big Bang, except I can't really quite imagine the Big Bang. Um. And God moved upon the face of the waters, right, smack in the beginning of Genesis. If you're moving on the face of the waters, you're creating vibration. There's a wonderful Native American creation story that starts, in the beginning was the sound. Mm. And in a way, I think that's very true, except light is also vibration. We learn that all of the little molecules and everything in our bodies are in constant motion. They're all vibrating. So Mm. vibration is almost at the center of life. And we can experience it through all of our different senses. But if we have ears, music is the kind of glorification of the possibility of hearing.
0: Mm.
1: And it comes out in very different ways. I really believe that the greatest music uh, Uh is the folk songs that have grown up when they are heard just in the native voice of that of that people from where they come, and that all of our wonderful uh, harmonic masterpieces that are just glorious are, are wonderful consummations of the art, but the the, the underpinnings are worldwide folk song. What what mm-hmm. mothers sing to babies, what children sing when they're together, what people sing when they work or worship. Pray when they've just been bereaved, when they're married. That that's where it all is, and that that's the gift that is given us. And it partakes of energy exactly the way the physical world does. Every time we start a song, we're setting something in motion, mm-hmm. and it keeps going. Once we get it started, it's fairly easy to keep it going if we remember the words <laughs> and aren't caught stopped in some way. But then, then how, do you, how do you stop it? How do you connect one verse to the next verse? What's the, what's the emotional line through this piece? Where's the moment of most um, intensity? Where's the climax? How high is that climax, and how are you going to get down from it? Are you going to end the piece that way, like the big Hollywood ending with everybody <laughs> going off and the immediate clapping and stuff like that? Shaw was, was, was wonderful about that. He never... We have' only about three arrangements that end that way out of three hundred, and she's always thinking, how can we get down for that so that the last sound that you've heard in a in a joyous piece causes a chuckle rather than a than a thing that you have this big sound, and then you do something that just says, it's okay we're we're all here together, you know <laughs> right and um but you're dealing with this energy, and it's when you don't realize that what you're doing is that you get the, the boring performance or the performance that that, um, that everything is technically right, but it just doesn't, doesn't happen because you're not riding that, mm. that energy. Mm. My abiding image is I live way out in the country, in the hills of western Massachusetts, and right across from my house or across the road in front of my house, there's a stream that has a fairly radical fall. It's, it's, it's going down quite a bit. So I, that constant sound is in my ears, and it's the image I call up for my students more than almost any other one. That stream keeps going. You can't call it back, wait a minute, I want to do that measure again. <laughs> you, you can't, and that's the composing thing that why I want to do it in my head, because the minute you write it down it's as if you've put weights on those notes, and it's very hard to change them. While hmm. and, and, they are still in your, your head, they're fluid, and you can get change something way back down the line in the song that makes them come out quite different the next time you sing it, and the whole point is not to make it come out the same. The page looks as if it, it's supposed to come out the same, but actually it should never be the same. Mm. It's it's mm. always new. Like I remember in the '60s people saying, "Well, certainly tonality is dead. All the music that we know as right. as, as we can't have that anymore," and even went so far as uh, with language language The languages that we've had are dead, so I'm going to make up my own language, and then you get the idiocy of spouting off, you know, sounds yeah. that don't make any sense. What uh, dissuaded me from that was that you can't make a joke in a language that you're making up at the moment because you have to have something stable in order to be able to make it to make it to make it to go around it and come out with a different mm-hmm. language. I thought. I don't want to be working in a musical language that it's not possible to make a joke in. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, What is this? Let me just... You... um, Yeah, I think somewhere... um, You talk about, you know, what uh, songs that that have lasted, that have proven themselves, which is true of folk songs. It's true of a lot of religious music. Yes. Um, what they <clears throat> they carry accumulated ima- um, emotion, not just the imagination of one poet or one text, yeah. and kind of as you said, generation upon generation has recreated that right.
1: majesty, that right. loveliness. Yeah, that's so that's a, a wonderful quote. Yes, uh,
0: you know we are sitting here um, in a week in which Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize for which Literature. Is- <laughs> <laughs> just so
1: unexpected I and agree so I, The
0: New York Times wrote a critical uh, piece, and I, 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 to me, they were so wrong. What I was thinking of, and it came back to me, and I was getting ready to speak with you I, I spoke with, I interviewed the poet Paul Muldoon this year, and you know we were talking about how poetry is something we need, like we need air and water and his one of his points was that in fact, poetry is so much more a part of. Our lives, then we realize yes. because it's embodied in so much of the music. Right. So even right. if people Americans think they don't read poetry, yeah. in fact they're they're singing and, it all. And the giving time. Bob yeah. Dylan the prize to oh. me is a manifestation of that. And then you and you also write about that. I mean, here's something you said: um, you know, the kind of poetry that I like is a kind of stripped down language that gets at the marrow of, of what the experience is at the center, and what music does is, is it provides the context for that marrow.
1: So that people that have trouble with poetry or trouble with words, which can be for many number of reasons, have space to begin to get what it's about, hmm. which the music does. Hmm. Yeah.
0: And you've set lots of
1: poetry oh, I and l- writing, love other it. kinds yeah. of writing, yeah. too. I yeah. mean,
0: Emily Dickinson, Archibald MacLeish, Edna St. Vincent Millay. Eudora Welty. Yes, I mean, yeah. And I'm, I know that's a very incomplete list.
1: Oh yeah, but but I just but these are all stripped down poets. I love Walt Whitman, and I couldn't begin to set Walt Whitman in a moment. There's words come like like a huge wave coming, just <laughs> engulfing me. There's no place for my voice. <laughs> Emily's is so quiet mm. that there's there's space, and and she's so condensed that there's almost a, there's there's space between the words and between the lines. For 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 the music to carry, carry.
0: Um, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, You talk a lot about what what music communicates, and one answer you give to that is mood. But I want to ask about the, the what you mean when you use that word. Yes, yeah.
1: it's mood music, as the phrase is used in a general culture. Usually means music to do something else too. You have music, mood music in the background, so that you can uh, seduce a lady, or you can um, cook, or you can, uh, you know, get your mind off of the distractions of everyday. Mood is the. <laughs> this is ridiculous physical manifestation of the of the emotion which is present in the room so that around if i'm feeling anger and like a cartoon there's little things radiating out from me on every side saying stay away i'm right. oh, dangerous i'm radiating dissatisfaction and that's that's the mood of that and if you are able to align yourself with the mood that was possibly what the poet had in mind when they were writing so that your molecules are all aligned with hers in this sense, just exactly like a magnet and filings, you know. I get this picture all the time. If I'm, in another another way, if I'm at, in the root of the poem, if I am experiencing inside of myself what Emily was might have been experiencing as she wrote this poem then her words spring out of that mood not a mm-hmm. specific moment or place or anything like that but that this this mood if i'm replicating that then her her lines come out of that i understand her lines as a whole not just as a collection of words or or thoughts or something and my music is going to be able to come from the same place mm. so that i have i have the hope that I'm writing something that bonds so cleanly with her words that it feels as if my music has always been there. Hmm. It's the opposite of writing something original, of doing something that nobody's done before. It's trying to get deep inside that human experience of creating something. and So that the experience itself
0: and not just the ideas is yes. communicated
1: that's right that's right mm-hmm. yeah. not the result of the experience
0: which is um, which is an interesting way to think about how music can work on us right how we will turn to music uh, I mean, to even to use the word, the, the word mood superficially yes. when, when we don't when we want to feel something different yes right or yes. want to be taken
1: outside right exactly And it does that for me all the time. Um, If I'm going to bed at night, and my head—I always have music playing in my head. It drives me crazy sometimes. And the only way I can turn it off is play other music. (laughs) But I've got my head is all in a jangle because so many things have happened, and there's unresolved issues in my life or relationships or whatever like that. And if I go to bed and put on a on a recording of um, of Gregorian chant. Or of string quartets, or something like that. It can't be with words because I have a different way of listening. To the I get caught up in the words and in the, the uh, technical things of that. But uh, chant, and uh, and then I absolutely love um, guitar uh, Mm -hmm. music. Mm -hmm. Those those gentler instruments and the quieter, the quieter. Things, or if i 've heard a whole lot of late romantic music with big orchestra and lots of big sounds, it I was kind of run and hide for <laughs> for a while in much quieter songs, and i 've gotten much bolder about writing fewer notes for people to sing, so the music gets sparer and sparer, so there's there 's space around it to get that quality of listening that comes when you 're just listening to one line or two people sharing a song back and forth. It's much easier to hear what's going on than if you have four or if you have a whole chorus or if you have a whole orchestra.
0: It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. I, I spoke with Mary Oliver this year, and one oh, thing I she said about, about as she goes through her life, her poetry becomes shorter. Sparer, yes. Yeah,
1: that's, that's,
0: that's <laughs> what living. is that? What is that about
1: the passage of time? I sometimes think about aging. That uh, as we're as we're born, everything is new. So we have all these experiences we have to go through to begin to have some idea about what's going on. Uh, so you have all these learning years, and in your teens, you're beginning to learn about uh, relationships with other people and and uh, emotions and all that that leads to. Then you're 20 to 50, maybe 20 to 60. You are so caught up in the business of living, in the business of being a parent, in the business of being a teacher, whatever your occupation is, that you don't have time to to look look at it as a whole. And it seems to me I was about 60 when I began to see my own experiences adding up to to me hmm. instead of being very yeah. diverse experiences in conducting and composing and teaching and mothering and all the rest of it. Um, and so it's as if before then I've been in this, going living through this miasma, this series of scenes and acts that are just so full of activity, there's no time to think. And when you begin to get out of it, it's as if you're putting your head up above water and you're looking out and saying, oh, is that the way it works? When all of your local, when your doctor is younger than you are, when the policeman is younger (laughs) than you are, when these authority figures that you've looked up before, all of a sudden they're your children or the age of your grandchildren. (laughs) And you just see differently so that your vision gets farther and you begin to see how things relate in a way that you can't when you're right in the middle of them.
0: It sounds wonderful. And then you've had
1: 30 years to live that way. It's just such a gift. It is such a gift. And I've just, I don't want to go back and change anything else that happened because it's all part of what brought me here. But I'm so grateful to the people who opened doors for me mm-hmm. and showed me how to live. Mm. Eudora Welty was one of them. Mm. Just, uh, what a great soul. And I, when the first time I met her, I was flying. In from a music workshop, a church music workshop, and I had been with a whole bunch of people all morning, and it was a one-hour flight, and she was meeting me at the airport, and I looked at myself on the plane, and I had plain old canvas shoes on. I was It was summer. I had a cotton dress that was all wrinkled. I was just a mess. And I thought, Oh, I'm meeting you Dora Weldy, what's the matter with me? So I get off the plane. She's wearing exactly the kind of shoes that I've got. She's got a very <laughs> wrinkled cotton dress. She has not one bit of of standoffishness mm-hmm. about her. And I thought, This is hmm. this is just wonderful to see this. And she she absolutely refused to kind of internalize any kind of uh, Egoistic reflection of people around her, of what they thought of her. Yeah. Uh, she 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 just simply ignored it, and just went through right being just a plain person, with her relationships with her neighbors and the people around her, and then with me as a young, bitter uh,
0: Yeah. Well, and you're quite a <coughs> you're quite a rock star in this in 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 the world of the composing and choral well, music. Yeah. I mean, I see. I'm watching that on YouTube and it's amazing.
1: Oh.
0: I wanna actually read you you and you, you were talking about your brook, um yes. I thought about you you have some you have wonderful quotes all the way through. This quote of uh Martin Luther. Where was it about
1: um The dancing?
0: Something about all of nature has its sound. I wrote it down somewhere I'll find. Mm. Oh no There is nothing on earth that hath not its tone. Even the air invisible sings when smitten with a staff. Yes. Isn't that lovely? (laughs) And then uh, here's another one that uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel. Listening to great music is a shattering experience, throwing the soul into an encounter with an aspect of reality to which the mind can never relate itself adequately. Such experiences undermine conceit and complacency and may even induce a sense of contrition and a readiness for repentance. I am neither a musician nor an expert on music, but the shattering experience of music has been a challenge to my thinking on ultimate issues. I spend my life working with thoughts, and one problem that gives me no rest is do these thoughts ever rise to the heights reached by authentic music?
1: <laughs> because we're leaving the rational mind behind. Mm. We're, we're surpassing it. And we have it. What we need is a balance. We need to be whole and relate intuition to rationality. But I've believed so strongly that intuition has to come first. And the rational is, is the ordering of the intuitive thing. Mm-hmm. Because if the rational comes first, it's incomplete and leads in the wrong direction. I just had a glimpse of another thing to say and it's gone.
0: Oh, (laughs) (laughs) well, if you think of it, bring it back in. Uh, You know, you were born in 1925. Yes.
1: Um,
0: One thing that occurs to me as I think about the sweep of your life and work is um, that churches and religious traditions have been such a primary inspiration center. For great music, mm-hmm. obviously not the only center, but, yes. but choral music, I mean, in right. the United States. I mean, what do we think of? We think of churches. Yeah. And that institution itself is evolving. Uh, the, the way people like I was and probably like mm-hmm. you were, you know, born into a congregation, yes. born yeah. into a a set of hymns. Right, right. Um, and I just, I'm curious about how you think about that. um, Evolution and with your love of uh, this, this piece of our life together. Just say, what are, where do your thoughts go with that?
1: I go back to f- what I said about having the minister uncles that I love so I could talk. I, I grew up being able to talk very easily with ministers instead of being scared of them. Um, and I, as a composer, I only write on commission for performance. I don't write anything that, isn't, uh, that, I, that I don't know how it's going to be performed right. or when. And um, the church, as it always has been, is full of opportunity. Schools, Schools don't have money to, yeah. to commission yeah. a piece, you know, very rarely. So it's not the same thing at all. I have great difficulty writing a piece for a concert. I cannot feel the necessity for it the way I can feel it, the necessity in the church and in our Christian tradition. The music that has developed ever since the beginnings of Christianity, which and the beginnings of the first thousand years or so, are all rooted in the Jewish tradition
0: right, right. from
1: from ours, and that's because there wasn't that much contact with the with the Oriental traditions. Um, but it's 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 united very strongly but the christian tradition and the story the sto- jesus story of the baby in the manger and the lullabies that we sing at christmas time and all the folklore about the people that came to visit him and the gifts that they brought and then the the, the stories in the bible of the of the parables we don 't sing them anymore. There are lots of nineteenth century hymns that tell the parables in the hymn, and they they were perfectly happy to sing a hymn that had twelve or fourteen verses that right, told us right. the same story, and we 're just so condensed and down we can't do that but um there's just such room there the 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 story really is about the human story and the the human story in relationship to that which we cannot understand mm-hmm. and and so mm-hmm. uh there's just such room there for play, and then the words about it, the poems. Mm-hmm. Dickinson is full of Christian illusion, and she never mentions Jesus, and she rarely mentions God. Um, but it is that exactly that same trying what so many of us are trying to do now, what is our relationship to the natural world, and how has it become so so misguided, mm-hmm. and how have we come become so blind? To what's obvious around us, I love the uh, Native American saying, we teach our children to see when there is nothing to see and to listen when there is nothing to hear. Because if you're in the woods at night and you listen for the quiet, you discover it's not quiet at all. Mm-hmm. There are all kinds of things mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. And we don't listen for the quiet. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a huge focus that we need. My word for the next generation is, unplug. <laughs> <Of course> that, <laughs> that doesn't all the way work anymore yeah. with all the wireless. Well,
0: and yeah. and I think what's also there in your thinking is that, and I'm, I so agree with you. There's there's this great searching right now, um, uh, and it's about what is our relationship to the natural world. It's, it's about. It's also about the connection between that and our, our our physical selves and. Whatever our spiritual selves are, whatever that is um, but the but the reality and
1: necessity of that which we perceive yeah. why does every generation keep wondering about god? You know, I can, <laughs> if you don 't believe you don 't believe in the same God I believe in <laughs> you know it 's it's that we, we realize we are not perfect. We are not complete. We don't have control over our own destiny. I love the image of the, the goldfish in the bowl. And we're like goldfish in the bowl, and somebody else from outside looking at us sees very clearly what our limitations are. We don't see that at all. Mm. And we try to reorder what is around us instead of trying to understand as other cultures have done much better what our place is in it and what to honor. But people are always honoring something. Hmm. And right. it's we honor what we cannot understand and we're in our our culture very loath to admit that we can't control it. Yeah. We, we think there's a way that we can control it. I, I look at the people that think, "Well, we've, we've, we're getting close to life in the in the test tube." There's no way. There's just simply no way because our definition of life then has to be so limited it doesn't doesn't add up. Huh. So the more that we can feel at home in a universe of what we are—an in infinitesimal speck. In the great sweep of time, if there is such a thing as time and space, this ever-expanding universe, I can't get my head around that. I have a feeling it's a game of mirrors, and you're (laughs) expanding except there's a mirror, so it looks as if you're going in a million directions, but actually it's very controlled. Um, This, who, who am I? So a lifelong job is to discover who I am and therefore who you are and who anybody else is. And the big challenge for us now is to be secure and accepting of who we are so that we can look at someone else and be secure and accepting of them. And if you don't have the primary... Thing, you can't have the other yeah. and it seems as if we go from generation to generation certainly amassing knowledge of all kinds of things but we haven't advanced one iota in understanding each other, ourselves or each other <laughs> right. and so this is the huge challenge and that anything like group singing they can overcome those differences the, the the ego taking taking shape over over anything else anything that we can do is going to lead to a better world and there's no way you can't do it from a big platform you can't do it from the tv uh, camera because it has to be face to face and it has to be local mm-hmm. and if if enough people catch on so we get little localities where people of good will are working together then we're we're doing something that combats the other, other forces but the other forces grow so quickly and they're just simply the opposite of this one creates the other and the, the, the love thwarted results in all the, the blackness and love fulfilled results in the and the the sense of being at home in the universe, at peace with what life is, with what death is, because it's part of a process. We see it all around us. It's not an end. Right. Yeah. It's, it's part of the process, and we're all part of that. And if we can acknowledge the God in each other and relate to each other through our senses because what i'm saying about music is this glorification of the ear but visual art is is through the eye and sculpture right, is through right, the fingers and cooking is through the tongue mm-hmm. and the nose it's those are all the things that's what primary school should be about. Mm-hmm. We try to teach reading. We try to teach rational thought. Way Learning too soon. through our
0: senses, yes. engaging
1: the senses, and, and just that we create. The first thing you do is create through the senses, so that we are creating music with children, and the children are creating pottery, and they're creating the things that they use to to eat with, and and weaving their blankets, and doing all of this stuff that feels like so sad our central purpose should be to, to develop our minds and know where it's and all of this that will come, nothing will keep the kids from exploring that once they have a, a background hmm. with, with their sensory knowledge hmm.
0: I, I do sense and I'm curious about whether you have this experience too that kind of group singing is being rediscovered it's taking different forms. It might be in theaters. Mm-hmm. It might be in neighborhoods. You're doing something at Plymouth Church with yes. Vocal Essence. Right, um, right, There's a performance, but there's also on Saturday a yes, group I, sing. Yes, a group
1: sing. Right. Um, I
0: think that's interesting. I, I mean, I feel like if, if it's true, as you are proposing, and I, I, I agree that this is just a natural thing we do. This is a natural way. We, mm-hmm. em, we are embodied creatures in the world, perhaps one of the very most original ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we may forget for a time, but we recreate it.
1: Mm-hmm. I think partly it's a reaction to the 60s, which was such a time of upheaval. Uh, and part of the upheaval was the electronics coming in and almost taking over, yeah. so that everybody had their record player of one kind or another. And the industry grew by dividing people into segments so that almost the age you were at, there was music for that. And right. It, it, right. Have, it exaggerated any young generation's uh, impatience with what their elders valued, and so they have to do something <laughs> and new. And is that a
0: relatively new thing, do you think?
1: No, that's, I think that, that, that tendency is always, is always there. Uh-huh. The thing that's happened here is that with the combination of electronics – and with the monetization of the industry, the, the music recording industry, um, it, it almost erased what had had been very strong before, uh, the, com- the community groups and organizations that, that were multi-generational, mm-hmm, that passed mm-hmm. over, so that the, the children had no patience with the songs the parents of. For instance, I grew up. In the in the thirties, I was what five to fifteen in the thirties, and of course I loved all the pop songs of that period. Now it's very clear as we look back that those are gorgeous songs. They lead; they're the American lead, <laughs> yeah. and um, they are just marvelous songs. And um, and and they live; they continue to live, mm-hmm. and people are are discovering them. What you get in the '60s is the glorification of the kid with the guitar and making up his own song, okay. with no background in poetry, no background in music, no, not ever having heard anything that was any different. I uphold to the to the skies his right to make music. Mm-hmm. I deplore the fact that it gets gets foisted on all the rest of us just because it's young and different, and we've okay. we've we've kind of glorified that newcomers approach to the art
0: mm-hmm. and we I
1: still see it in all the arts.
0: Well, and that you know that as I as I was um thinking about you and realizing, you know, again this idea that that singing is the most companionable of arts and that there's this I mean really there's uh there's a there's a public life aspect of, of of singing and song and sound even the way right. you so I mean I wanted to re- read something. Um, and, and, and 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 what it makes me realize, because I, I you know, I said I, I see singing coming back. I see people finding ways to reinvent group singing even if they if there's not a tradition intact. I also experience a great longing for cross generational relationship, which which went away with the way yes. we restructured. Right. And, of course, how how has all this music of the ages been passed down? But, you know, through generations, people hearing their parents and grandparents sing it. And Anyway, here's something you wrote I found so beautiful. It just speaks to this communal aspect of this. Uh, as the first often faint sounds come from my throat... I'm beginning to spin a web connecting me to the group, and my whole effort is to get connecting threads coming back from them. As the song builds, the thread becomes a line, a rope, a cable, a bridge. And finally, there is no division. We are all one in song.
1: I feel that every time I start to lead any group, any group, Mm -hmm. there's always an initial resistance, or almost always an initial resistance of the group for... Why, why I don't dare make a sound, you know, kind of thing, and then it then it grows, and and my job is to is to submerge myself in this. I'm not trying to control the song. I'm trying to bring the song out of them. Mm. Mm. It's it's astonishing what's happened. I just remember in our little church, my mother reporting to me once after a, a Christmas carol sing that I'd done. That she saw two local farmers who were very strong-minded individuals and had had some kind of a quarrel for a generation or so, and never speaking to each other, just turning around after they'd just sung a carol together and smiling at each other. You know, it just—it breaks down those walls. Yeah.
0: Well, I also—I mean, there are stories all over the world. Also, I remember in Bosnia, you know, after the war there, oh. there were choirs forming. Or, People whose groups, whose families were literally killing each other. Yes. But singing was a way to transcend that absolutely. both emotionally and absolutely physically. One thing I also really love, uh I've watched you kind of um on YouTube. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um um with with people in this universe of singing who who work with what what you've done and um um Oh, I just lost my train of thought. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the sense of joy, and you speaking often about, I mean, I think you said in one group, you know, our work
1: is our play.
0: Yes, it it <laughs> um, uh-huh. What a gift. To have work like that. It is.
1: The comment I get more than anything else after a sing, when I've just gone in and with no no anthems or anything else like that. It's not a rehearsal. And we just sing songs. That was so much fun. As if all the other music making they've done wasn't fun. And I, my interior... <laughs> Uh, assessment of what goes on is that I've released them into the intuitive and their rational minds, which are the critical minds that say, Oh, well, we haven't done this, or this isn't really intuitive. Or this or is serious. Yes, it's or music. this is serious, yeah. <laughs> right. It's the game. It's the game of, of tones, and it is so much fun to play that game. Mm.
0: Yeah. If I ask you um, how this life in music and in sound, um, uh, composing, conducting, arranging how this has evolved your sense of what it means to be human, um, how would you start to answer that question
1: <laughs> that there is no such thing as song I keep making uh, starting a sentence and feeling the branch creaking behind me is it am I going to be able to finish this <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's no such thing as song without human beings to sing it. There might be, but there's no way that I can possibly ever know that. Therefore, it's a possibility. And if my calling, my work is to get people singing, then my job is to release them into the knowledge that there is this whole means of communication which does not depend on rational thinking which does depend on using our voices differently to create tones and rhythms though we could perfectly possibly make wonderful rhythmic music percussion ensemble that is very understandable as music that doesn't have pitch um, but so that there are all these levels but, as you've kept coming back to, it's the only one of the arts that is immediately available to human beings. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have paints. You don't have to have a brush. You don't have to have a pencil. You don't have to have anything you else. You don't have to have lessons. It's yeah. Just, yeah, you don't have to have lessons. So that it's just there. And in a way, because it is so available, we don't value it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: anybody can do that. Mm-hmm. I want to do something that nobody else can do. <laughs> um, but when you honor it, I think it is given us to overcome these, these differences that we have between mm-hmm. these walls that we build up between one person and another or one culture and another. It's not that we can all sing the same songs because our languages are very different and our experience is different. But a lullaby is a lullaby all over the world. And a love song is a love song. Boy, can you hear it in the language that you don't speak at all, <laughs> but it's right there. And the, the song in coping with death and loss is right there. And it they they are so deeply fundamentally human, it's it's almost as if the song well the song is the language of of humans I go so far as to say for me there is absolute daily proof that there is a God because there is music. How could that just happen? Accident. All of that ordering but the same thing is true of light the same thing is true of form the form of a piece is arrived at the same way the form of a flower is arrived at or mm. as a tree. Mm. And the flow is the same as that brook. It's just all around us. The pattern of what we're trying to create is around us. And this is our best chance of creating it outside of any... Um, uh, I keep using rationality, but uh, outside of any um, value from any other system, we don't need to monetize it. We don't need to to say, you have to do this and this and this before you're able to do this. It's all right there inherent in us. So in some ways, oh, here's another one that I I come back to, that I feel the most complete when I'm singing and it has nothing to do with the sound of what 's coming out of my mouth, but I am using every bit of any ability that resides anywhere in me mm. that the, the limits of my imagination it's founded on my breath and breath is spirit in the in the writings it's founded on my breath, and my lungs keep it going and I certainly want to use my rational mind in what I'm doing to make choices and to criticize and to to mold it but The language is right there, and I'm using spiritual, physical, mental, sensual, whatever the other senses are that we have no idea of and don't acknowledge. Um, They're all I'm using every one of them when I'm spinning out a melody, just all by myself. It doesn't take anybody else, and particularly when I can enlarge that into other people joining that, joining me in that melody that it's it's the most it sounds ridiculous but i really believe it's the most complete human experience that there is everything else is partial
0: that's wonderful is there You You brought some books. Is there anything you want to read from or share that are, or anything I didn't ask you about? No, I,
1: I bring the books as like security blankets <laughs> in case I run out of words, but I've never you, run, you out run out of words yet. You did run out of words. I can't imagine you run out of words.
0: Um, no, it's fan- thank you so much. It's been a beautiful conversation. Well, it's I
1: thoroughly a- enjoy the On Being program and the, and the different things that it gets into. Uh, oh, it's it's just a pleasure to talk oh, with you.
0: I'm so excited yeah. to have you as part of it. Well,
1: well, I'm delighted to be here. Worked out amazingly. I know. Oh, holy Spirit really, works. In I'm. I mean, I do. Ways.
0: I. I. So I think it's amazing. I mean, you've done a lot today. I. I think when you're when one is traveling, I mean, I, I now just try to kind of do one thing.
1: But this is my this is what I do. So when I okay. when I'm doing it, I'm All doing right. it completely. Right. And when I go out of the room, I yeah. collapse like okay. a balloon. You know? <laughs> <All right. laughs> but as long as I'm here, All no, right. this is it's been a great pleasure. Okay. Thank you, Krista. Well,
0: thank you, and we'll we'll let you know when when we're producing oh, this. It'll be sometime in the winter. Yeah, yeah, that's um, fine. Well, thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs>